Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. Karibuni sana to the second episode of um, Singi Talks podcast. And today it's my great honor to have uh, Linda Ochola and she will tell us uh, who she is, introduce herself, what she's been doing, what she's been up to. But I think for me, as when I came back uh, from college and was looking at people who are doing things in connection with faith, social justice, and advocacy. Her name kept popping up and what she was doing kept popping up. And so to be here and to share this space with her and to be in conversation with her as, uh, we, as she shares her story and her journey to social justice is a great honor. So Karibu sana, uh, Pastor Linda. Thank you so much, Carol. I am so grateful and honored uh, to have this opportunity to be on the Msingi Trust uh, podcast. And yeah, just to be able to share my story and share my journey and even just uh, to connect with you. It's always inspiring to find people who have similar passions uh, yeah, around the same issues and uh, especially about justice, which has been an issue or an area of passion for me for a long time. So thank you for this opportunity. Oh, thank you very much, Asante. And um, as we know, Msingi Talks is uh, about connecting the worlds of faith, social justice, activism, advocacy, and everything in between. I would uh, like to hear from you, Pastor Linda, what is there a verse that uh, you have or a story in the Bible or outside that you would say has brought you or gave you, that speaks to you about justice? Yeah, I would love to share, um, I would love to share a, um, a favorite passage of scripture uh, okay. that has been a source of inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe let me, let me start by sharing about a person uh, mm-hmm. who really was uh, the source of that inspiration, if I may put it that way. Yes. Um, when I was a student at uh, at a theological college, right here in Nairobi, um, I had uh, joined the college because I was training to be a, a pastor. And um, in the course of my studies, actually towards the tail end of my studies, I took a particular course uh, that was titled Old Testament Theology. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was amazing about the course and about the professor who took me through was that he taught uh, this program and it was a 10-week course, like most of the courses in that college, uh, through the, 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 the duration of the semester. And he taught the Old Testament through the theme of justice. Mm-hmm. And uh, his name was Professor Chester Wood, is Professor mm-hmm. Chester Wood. He's still living, although resident now uh, in his own home country, of, uh, which is the U.S., and uh, he exposed me and my uh, colleagues uh, who were in that class at that time 
to a reading of the Old Testament through the theme of justice. And it was something that I had never done before. Although I had been a Christian uh, since I was a little girl in Sunday school, I had been a reader of the Bible and I loved the Bible. I, I used to read even devotional materials that kind of gave me, um, you know, some scriptures uh, here and there. But I, I, I had only read maybe just about a book at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I um, I had uh, loved the scriptures and read the scriptures through devotional material. I had only really read about a book at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened for me in that class was that I went through uh, Genesis to Malachi uh, nonstop. And uh, what this professor did was that he drew out the theme of justice right through the whole of the Old Testament. Anyway, you asked me about a specific passage that comes to mind, and I have many favorites as a result of that uh, time. But one that stands out for me is uh, when we read through the book of Exodus, um, uh, and uh, we read through Genesis and Exodus, how the, the nation of Israel ended up in Egypt, and then how God began to bring about his deliverance for his people in Uh, Egypt. And the passage that really uh, comes to my mind anytime I start talking about justice and scripture is Exodus chapter 3, where God speaks to Moses um, through the burning bush. And as soon as Moses turns aside and comes to look at the bush, um, in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3, it it reads, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, um, out of that, um, out of that. And uh, that's the passage that really stands out in my mind when I think about justice. And what I thought was so profound about the conversation and the interaction that I had or that we had as a class with Professor Chester Wood was that he pointed out that the nature of the Exodus was that it was not a spiritual salvation, that God's intervention in the life of the community of God's people in Israel was not in principle one of ministering to them at the level of their souls or at their spirits. He wasn't offering them a spiritual salvation, but he was promising them uh, deliverance from the oppression of the, of the Egyptians and essentially he was uh, offering them uh, an economic deliverance and a physical mm-hmm. and social deliverance. That yeah. rocked my world, Carol. I had never yes, had that yes, yes, in the many yes. years I had been a Christian. And he, in that moment, when he shared that mm-hmm. passage in that way, uh, mm-hmm. began to broaden my understanding of God's salvation, that God is uniquely concerned about the poor, uniquely concerned about circumstances that oppress people. And he mm-hmm. not is just he's not just concerned, he sees the misery of people, he hears them crying out, he's concerned, and he mm-hmm. comes down to rescue and to intervene. That was mm-hmm. the backdrop of my introduction to justice conversations. Until mm-hmm. this day, uh, I cannot share it without such a deep sense of um, just feeling deeply connected with that scripture and challenged uh, to think differently about what God wants for us. And I can hear the passion in your heart and in your sharing of the story because it is so personal for you. And it's, uh, 
it set you it set you up to to this work that uh, you've done and you've done for quite a long time. So um, I'm wondering, um, there are a few things that come up from there that there is a connection be- between uh, what you learned in seminary to what uh, you you teach in the sanctuary that needs to connect to the work in the streets. You you were many in that class. Why how, why did it hit you differently than it hit a few other people in your in your class in your theological institution? Why would you say that is the case? You know what, Carol? That's such a it's a powerful question. And um, even as we're talking, it's the strangest thing. Most of the time, when I share this passage. And the Mm -hmm. beginnings of that journey. You would not believe it, but all these years down the line, I still tear up. Mm, Um, And it was a really long time ago now, yeah? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I started out at the college, I think, in, um, I don't know, 2000 Mm. and something. I'll remember. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a really long time ago. But why did it grab me? And why? I don't know how it grabbed other people. I think it spoke to us possibly in different ways. I think it lodged in people's hearts in different ways. And, uh, you know, we may never know the outcome uh, in the lives of people when God's word is preached. Mm. But, uh, you know, God's, God's word promises um, about its own impact in Isaiah 55 that um, my word does not return to me void, it, mm-hmm. but it, pro- it uh, accomplishes uh, the thing for which I sent it. It, it accomplishes... Uh, what I, I want, and it, it it prospers in the thing for which I sent it. So I can only believe that it it achieved in the lives of my colleagues the things that God wanted. But uh, I think that, that what is interesting for me about that, it was such an ordinary class, Carol, such yes. an ordinary setting, such a normal classroom, such mm-hmm. ordinary afternoons of reflection. And yet it literally rocked my world and changed the direction of my life. And I think the message for me there is that God is always speaking. Mm-hmm. God is always speaking. And the glory of God is in the most ordinary and most inglorious moments. If only mm-hmm. people will be able to listen to him and then to take those baby steps in the direction that um, he, he is beckoning and he is guiding. Because I think ultimately we, we cannot see in a given moment the big picture, but he can. And so what we need to do is just to be... Um, to have soft hearts uh, that uh, are responsive to God and that take that at a time, um, trusting him that he will essentially what he has in store. So, you know, he spoke and, uh, and, and I had him, even though I did not know at the time for sure that, um, you know, 15, 20 years later, I would still be um, so motivated uh, by that. And not just motivated, it has framed my life. As I speak now, but I didn't know that. So you said you've been doing this for 15 to 20 years. Could you maybe uh, share with us some of the things and some of the ways uh, you've pursued justice uh, and what, uh, what, what are the projects or processes or things that you've done in the pursuit of justice as yeah. you are faithful to the call of God. 
Absolutely, I'm happy to share that. Uh, okay, so maybe let me just uh, bring in another passage that was instrumental for me. So I, you know, my 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 mom was very a big influence on my life in terms of faith, and um, from a very early age, she taught us uh, to pray, like many families do. You know, these devotions that people have in their homes in the evening, like I assume many families are having now. Uh, even in this uh, lockdown and coronavirus season, you know, you can never underestimate the place of prayer and uh, the things that happen even, as I said, in very ordinary interactions. So my mom taught us to pray. Essentially, they were bedtime prayers. Um, but uh, because of uh, her, you know, making us to be so open to the things of God, I think that is how, uh, and her even her nurturing us to, to towards church attendance. Again, that was another way in which it, it was a door opener for God's grace in my life. So yes. we, we used to go to church together and uh, I remember uh, just hearing a, a passage preached one day on it was in Ephesians from Ephesians chapter 4 about the gifts that God yes. gives the church and yes. uh, you know the gift of apostle, uh, evangelist, prophet, pastor and teacher and I remember on that particular Sunday when, when a powerful message was delivered from this passage Somehow the the words pastor and teacher jumped out at me, and mm -hmm. I I knew that that was what God was calling me to do, and uh, yeah. I I was in my second year I think at the time I had that sermon, um, uh, on purpose, and uh, I, I second year as a student at the University of Nairobi I did not know I wasn't studying theological training I didn't know how do I transition from a bachelor of arts at the University of Nairobi into being a pastor and a teacher. The people yeah. I spoke with counseled me just to finish my uh, my bachelor's uh, degree and then keep uh, listening to the Lord, and I did. And mm -hmm. um, e eventually, then I ended up doing an internship at the Nairobi Chapel, um, mm -hmm. and then that led me then to to my theological training. Uh, yeah. Your your particular question has been how have I seen uh, myself uh, engaging uh, with justice issues? Do you know, Carol, I think that uh, where I'm taking you with, uh, with with regard to this passage on Ephesians 4 and leadership gifts of pastoring and teaching, I feel mm -hmm. like the, the biggest thing that God has guided me to do or given me platforms to do is to teach God's people about justice. Mm -hmm. uh, I love to teach, I love to uh, preach, I love to share. And, you know, in the, in the whole of my time, and I, I did end up pastoring for quite a long time, about uh, 20 years actually, um, 20 years now, uh, I, I, in, in the sermons that I preached, the theme of justice just kept showing up. And in the strangest way, I found that I, I wanted to or needed to or had a burden to connect the community of God's people and the word of God with the re reality of the issues of society. Mm, the biggest yes, question yes. that kind of was rolling around at the back of my mind you know, outside of the, the things that press on the foreground of our minds, I kept on thinking, so what? Mm -hmm. uh, so what now that you have these um, statistics of, of very many Christians in a nation like Kenya? Uh, mm -hmm. So what? Uh, what does it mean? How do we demonstrate our faith in the society? How does the life of the nation uh, show that you've got so many Christians living in it? And then, Carol, um, not to rush ahead, and I'll kind of pause there. Matters mm -hmm. came ahead for me when Kenya experienced the post-election violence of 2007-2008. Mm -hmm. 
what happened was that it was a disputed election and there was widespread violence on a scale that I think the nation had not experienced, at least in my living memory, let me not say ever, but in my living memory. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, I think I was maybe uh, just getting to um, 30 years of age or, or so, uh, just a little over 30. I had just gotten married and um, I, I had not seen this kind of violence. And I had grown up in Kenya all my life. And so this question now became an urgent matter. How is it that a nation that has experienced almost 100 years of Christian nation at the time of the post-election violence can degenerate into this kind of um, loss of life, loss of property with no recourse from the community of God's people to, to bring about interventions uh, in, mm -hmm. in, in a situation like this? And so yeah, it came more than just something at the back of my mind as a result of that situation. Yeah, but in, in principle, I've done a lot of teaching, a lot of forums, a lot of training, a lot of challenging people to say outside of your own, um, you know, kind of personal piety, mm -hmm. your own mm -hmm. blessings, you know, the, the, your own personal devotion where you, you have this relationship with God and you're thankful and you're asking him, petitioning him for personal interventions and blessings. What difference can you make? and I live in society. So that is the way in which I've really engaged with Jesus. And you've, uh, you've done quite a lot, and maybe uh, later you'll tell us about Hatua Trust and what Hatua does. But I want um, to ask about the response that you've gotten, both from your from church leaders uh, uh, and from congregation members, uh, especially around injustice and and maybe you can tell us why it is what you think is the reason why in if we are 83 uh, the last research I looked at was Kenya is 83.3 percent Christian yet uh, we are still we are very corrupt we are we destroy the environment and we are basically very unjust. So what has your, what has the response been from, from people? And why do you think 83.3% uh, such a high figure has no impact on our lived reality in terms of justice in the country? Um, let me just kind of start at the bottom and then work my way back to the top. <laughs> I think yes. you've, you've asked about uh, the gap between, um, you know, the the fact that many people espouse the Christian faith, but uh, mm -hmm. in the in the realities in the in the country in terms of the impact of that Christian faith. If I may rephrase what you've said, is that, yes. is that in the general direction of where you're that's, going? Yes, that's where I am. And then the responses that I have gotten mm -hmm. um, as well. Let me see. Um, so, Carol, this thing bugged me until it bugged me to the point of <laughs> going to going back to school. I had mm -hmm. I had questions and I didn't know uh, I didn't know what to do. Frankly, you know, many people I think go to school because they have great ideas and they are really bright <laughs> mm -hmm. and they want to do great things. I actually went on to, to mm -hmm. study a doctoral level because I was a very puzzled person. Yeah. I thought that the crisis of the post-election violence and the fact that we had a groundswell of Christians would 
and it would result in certain things. And even though I, I then was teaching, I began to teach with even more focus and passion. I didn't see the kind of response and uh, uptake on the justice message that I had hoped for. And so, mm -hmm. I, uh, as I said, that led me to study some more. And it was a really good experience, very big eye-opener. Uh, and I want to share with you some of the reasons why I think there is that gap. And I, mm -hmm. I speak, uh, you know, just about the Kenyan space because that is where I, I live. That's the, that's the essentially the bulk of my experience. Mm -hmm. Theologian by the name of Samuel, he provides um, a discussion on, on, on that uh, question that you have raised. And I mm -hmm. think that there are three things he, he outlines. Uh, mm -hmm. There are three dilemmas that Christians face and that mm. the church faces with regard to its response to matters uh, that, uh, you know, that are in society that would require a response from the church. One mm -hmm. is, um, one of them, and I think the most significant one is that the church and Christians have to deal with their own, with other identities before mm. they can speak out with clarity and decisively. Mm -hmm. We have other identities, we have other, uh, interests in the issues that come our way that make mm. it difficult for us to sometimes take a position on an mm. issue. Yes. Uh, and some yes. of these identities are very no well known to us, uh, particularly in, in this nation as Kenyans, uh, mm -hmm. ethnic identities. Mm. So that even if there is an issue on the table and you are a believer, you are a person of faith even, even if you aren't a Christian, and you have a certain set of values that you live by, but that, mm -hmm. that particular issue has uh, overtones uh, with regard mm -hmm. to your ethnic identity and it has certain impact on your loyalties. It becomes mm -hmm. difficult then for you as a Christian or as a church or as a Christian organization to speak out uh, mm -hmm. nationally or to speak out even in a, in a, in a less, uh, in a, on a smaller scale with clarity. Yeah. This really, really stumped me, Carol, because at the mm -hmm. time, I have to admit, I've been very naive as mm -hmm. I came at this issue. I thought these things were black and white mm -hmm. and that God's word says this. And so one plus one equals two. If it's wrong, mm -hmm. it's wrong. Mm -hmm. But it isn't always wrong. It actually <laughs> depends on your other loyalties. So mm -hmm. you may see something if you're a business person, maybe let me even move it to away from ethnicity to, say, for example, economics. If uh, I am a business owner uh, and I, I see, you know, we have this a justice issue, for instance, I've taught even in the congregations where I have pastored about the need to treat our workers with justice, to pay them a fair wage. When okay. I, I, I preach such a message, I've now come to understand that a business person listening to me will okay. nevertheless have at the back of their mind their interest, which is their bottom line profit, in terms yes. of profit. And so at that point, you're challenging people at a, at a certain level in terms of their loyalties, and, and they must make a decision, uh, okay. uh, which is not an easy decision for people, between their loyalty to Christ and their loyalty to those other loyalties. Um, and it's hard for people. It's not that easy for people. And then there is also something that I learned called... Um, a long time ago, outside even of theological training, just in some readings and reflections, actually at the internship at Nairobi Chapel, called mm. plausibility structures. In other words, when you believe something, Carol, and you act on it, and I believe, uh, and I act on it, it becomes much easier for another person to say, oh, Carol, 
and Linda are doing it. And so they have the courage to step out because mm-hmm. it's not just them alone. Mm. And I find that in, on many, in many circumstances, people just simply don't have the courage to stand mm. up and stand out alone, to be the mm-hmm. first one, to take the risk. And society is, and, and social connections are powerful because the people around us, Carol, when we take a stand, have the ability to ostracize us and to mm, push us yeah, to the periphery yeah. because we have taken a position on an issue that is not to their liking. <laughs> and so all of these dynamics uh, factor into the reasons why in our society you can give those kinds of statistics that you have given about mm. the, the presence and the dominance of the Christian faith. And yet when you look at um, uh, our ability to respond to issues in the society, uh, our impact, I would be so bold as to say is often negligible. Mm, yes. Uh, um, I would say that. So I think uh, in my readings of uh, Samuel Kobia, those are some of the things I said. So Christians struggle. They find themselves in a dilemma. Uh, mm-hmm. Even how to, some, some of them also choose not to engage because they don't want to be, you know, fully drafted in arena. Uh, they mm-hmm. struggle with mm-hmm. that and they feel like if I enter into this thing, it will obscure what I was really about and, and everything will be politicized, which sometimes can happen. So they mm-hmm. opt to play um, And then of course, there are some passages that people interpret differently. One of the ones mm-hmm. I've had people mm-hmm. interpret differently. So the theological dilemma, I'm talking about a third thing now. You mm-hmm. know, this mm-hmm. passage uh, from, uh, a passage from Romans 13, where yes. Paul writes and says, um, instituted, have been instituted by God. And so you have Christians who also then have a, a dilemma. How do mm. I then engage in challenging some of the injustices that I see in society when scripture says this? And mm-hmm. so um, they, they grapple with that and they don't really know what to do with that. And I think on that, in that, in that regard, in my you know, estimation, humble estimation, it is a failure on the part of our, our you know, teachers and pastors uh, in the Christian mm. fraternity because we then need to kind of give people um, a broader context so that they're able to understand um, what God what God wants, even mm. in, the, in the context of being uh, obedient to the authorities. Obedience to the authority doesn't mean uh, com- complicit. Uh, it doesn't require us to be complicit with wrongdoing. Um, mm. And that, that's, you know, that's, those are some of the things that we need to uh, think through as Christians. Uh, you you sharing you you sharing uh, point number two and point number three reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, a religious leader during the time of uh, when the doctors were on strike. I think it was twenty seventeen, and um, I asked him. Uh, I asked him twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. I asked him why isn't this institution. Or why aren't churches uh, involved in this conversation? Because people are dying. For me, it it actually just makes sense that the church as a body should go where people are dying. And so if people are dying in hospitals because doctors haven't been paid or there's something, the CBA needs to be discussed. So why aren't we there? And the response that I got that I will never, ever forget was that, I was told that the church cannot be seen to be taking sides against government. Yeah. I will yeah. never, I, I can actually even remember where I was standing 
and my memory is not that photographic but i can remember who was around me what where where i was standing who was going where and what was being done because that is the day it hit me that institutionally we because also and to add to maybe what you're saying is that there are also things that the church gains from not being seen to be too combative or too prophetic to the to the government so you gain by being a watchdog you are on the wrong side of government and the wrong side of the state and so if especially you're looking for something you are always trying to not be seen as to be too con, uh, confronting and so so yeah what you're saying has just reminded me about that conversation i think uh, you're right <clears throat> you're very right mm. uh you know certain friends of mine in the in the let me call them uh, social justice fraternity i don't know if there exists such a thing but yeah some of the friends who have challenged my thinking in the area of justice have challenged me and they've said some very harsh things about the church uh mm. carol i mean i whatever else i may say about the church at bottom i am a servant of the church and that does not change so i always yes. find myself um in an interesting position but but i think as the years have gone on i become a little bit more accepting of the fact that it is all right to criticize an institution even if you're loyal and committed to it i mean we love our families but mm-hmm. uh, honesty demands that we we acknowledge the things that are not working yes in our families and so uh one of the things I, i i would say is to agree with you about the church so these friends of mine from this social justice networks challenged me and they said you know uh we we have a, we have churches we have churches that in many senses are, are colonial uh in their their vestiges of colonialism yes. that those are not that is not the exact phrase that they mm. used but that is what they meant that this that a, a lot of the, the christian faith came uh sh- shoulder to shoulder with the, with the colonial government mm. and actually uh the colonial they they in many instances worked closely with them and so they 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 kind of uh the kind of uh, institutions that we inherited on certain levels are institutions that you know exist in a very collaborative posture towards the state uh, mm. and gain certain things including protection from the state and as a result then uh, the prophetic mandate and obligation of the church sometimes tends to be obscured which is why i say that, that that for me that old testament uh reading uh through the theme of justice rocked my world because passages that i had i don't remember hearing in just the same way throughout my years of sunday school while really it it was almost like the whole class was shouting in my ears of course it wasn't shouting it was just a class carried out in normal tones but the, the effect on me was as if um that their message was resounding in my spirit because you see Moses are uh, then being called by God to go and say to Pharaoh in other words to the to the state yes my people yes. go yeah and so i think that the church has an interesting position i don't mm. think that the church is called to be in a constantly 
combative relationship towards the state or stance towards the state. But the church has an obligation to the community of God's people to speak mm -hmm. the truth to the mm -hmm. state. And mm -hmm. um, I don't think we can ever run away from that. Uh, I think that diplomacy is called upon in many instances. And I, I know that many of our church leaders actually do quite a bit of diplomatic work, if I may call it that, behind the scenes. Um, and I, I commend them, those of them who we may never even know. I think that they are also called even to a pastoral role to those in authority, because many of those people are also are faithful, they are Christians, and they themselves need uh, they, a shepherd. Uh, and, but nevertheless, nevertheless, all these truths are held in tension, but there is also an obligation to call out uh, what is evil in society. Um, they have a prophetic role um, yeah. to speak the truth um, in, in, in a way that few others can. Uh, and I think we see it throughout scripture, of course, moving on from Exodus, you see the role of the prophets coming up in the mm. Old Testament, another classic passage, mm. favorite passage for me is uh, in 2 Kings uh, 21, I believe, where um, King Ahab looks out uh, as he's walking and he sees the vineyard of mm. Naboth, the Jezreelite, yeah, and he yes. desires to take it because it's near his palace. And the law uh, at that time said that we, you, could not, um, you could not sell what was supposed to be perpetually in your family. And so when mm -hmm. he asked Naboth for it, Naboth says no. And the mm. king goes back to his palace. He's sulking. He will not eat. And his wife, who is a foreigner, so has no alliances to Jehovah, uh, mm. God of Israel, says, are you king or not? You get up and eat, and I will show you how I will get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And so what mm. happens there is that Je uh, Jezebel goes ahead to essentially uh, compromise the courts. Uh, she mm. compromises mm. the courts. She, she gets some uh, false witnesses to accuse Naboth. And she basically gets him executed. And, uh, you know, that story would have been a done deal because the elders, I think she either bribes them or, or coerces them. And Nabo mm. is killed. Mm -hmm. And then she tells mm -hmm. her husband, you get up, go and take, take the vineyard. And as mm. uh, Ahab is walking there about to take possession, who shows up but the prophet Elijah? Mm -hmm. And he confronts him. And he, mm. he speaks to him. And he says, this is unacceptable. So for me, uh, with all of what I have said, I don't believe in constant combat. At bottom, it is counterproductive. But when mm -hmm. ills are taking place, when ordinary people are suffering in the nation, mm -hmm. the church has an obligation. It cannot run away from this. It cannot downplay this to speak the truth uh, to those in authority. Carol, mm. you're getting me fired up. Mm. I think we need to calm down. <laughs> no, we need, we need the fire. We need the fire. Msingi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89.14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website www.msingitrust.org Follow us on all our social media handles at Trust, or email us on info at msingitrust.org I'd like to ask you if uh, in the Kenyan history if you have uh, leaders or 
or people who you've seen, pastors uh, who've been able to marry the world of, of, of being priests, of being pastors, uh, and doing the justice work. Because I think one of the things we realize is in the present church, we really do not, we, I don't know, maybe you have a name that I don't know, but I'm looking at a name that we can say is our, that is our pastor. That's the church. That's like the denomination that's standing for justice. I can't, I can't pinpoint one. Maybe I'm asking you in the history, in the times that you've been, which, um, which pastors, which, which teachers or which churches have you seen that has been have been able to to combine uh, faith work and justice work and uh, and do social justice for for God's people? Well, you know what, uh, Carol? I think probably like you, I have names of people who you know who are way ahead of me, not peers mm. of mine. Uh, we know the history of this nation and the role that the church and the religious leaders have played in, uh, you know, just advancing democracy in this nation. Uh, people who have who have done, you know, just this kind of uh, prophetic work that I, I I think I described or attempted to describe. Uh, you know, Henry Okulu, uh, mm-hmm. yes. way before my time. Dinky uh, Mwananzeki, yes alive in my living memory, actually just, uh, we just said farewell uh, to, to Bishop uh, Dingy. Um, uh, Reverend Timothy Njoya, uh, we know the names, we know the grades. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, people say that, uh, that uh, the context has since changed. You've got a lot more, uh, the, 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 the democratic space is a lot broader and many, many more voices can be accommodated in a way that was not possible at that time. Um, Moving on to what you're saying, I feel like uh, this thing that you're describing that is the work of Musingi Trust is now more necessary than ever before. Uh, You've Mm -hmm. talked about the fact that you bring people together who would not normally speak together. And I think that there is a significant work to be done in that because having been a pastor myself for 20 years, I know I know that there are many people who are doing the work of justice, perhaps on a smaller scale. There are many people who are defending the rights of uh, widows and many people who are defending the rights of orphans, but perhaps the circumstances uh, don't allow for them to be visible at national level uh, or the platforms that they have are not national platforms, but they are doing it in their communities. And I think these people just need to be brought together uh, mm-hmm. in order to, to, to speak together. And by the way, I'm not trying to sanitize the situation at all. Mm-hmm. I appreciate yeah. also that the church's voice seems to be muted or is felt to be muted at the present moment. So I'm not trying to water that down. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, having been a pastor myself, I do know there are many, many who soldier on day and night uh, and uh, their, their stories are never told. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, media also loves controversy. So, mm-hmm. you know, people don't write about um, what is good necessarily and what is, uh, <laughs> what is good, uh, and, but, but is ordinary. You know, we will write uh, these stories about the church as soon as somebody asks for these strange tithes of 310 shillings eh? mm-hmm. or a prophecy. That will make news and it will hit the social media and it will get, uh, it will trend. But when I mm-hmm. do my regular pastoral work and even prophetic work, 
it will just, uh, you know, go unnoticed. So I think that this work that you're describing of bringing people together um, who would not normally speak together in order to begin to build a groundswell is critical mm -hmm. work at this time. Incidentally, that is part of what Hatua Trust does. Uh, you've alluded to it. Maybe let me just make a quick mention. So yes, around uh, 2010, mm -hmm. I began to do some work. Uh, at that time, I hadn't registered the organization, but I just, uh, I just uh, went to Eldoret, which was which had been a hotspot of the post-election violence. Uh, in 2010, there was a there was a referendum with regard to the, uh, you know, uh, the new constitution or the proposed new constitution, and I felt it in my heart that pastors needed to understand. Uh, it was a referendum, I think, on the proposed constitution and also. The land policy, the, the proposed land policy was a big part of that. And I really felt I needed to go and speak to pastors and share the information with them from our national documents and ask them to be aware uh, and engaged in the conversation. And so I, together with members of the congregation I was leading at that time, I went to Eldoret. We traveled over a seven-week period. We'd keep going back and forth. And we just shared with them about the proposed land policy. And we, yes. we asked them to consider uh, and by, by reading and studying the Old Testament and also the new constitution, proposed new constitution, and to prepare themselves to take a stand or to take a position. And so, uh, you know, are there pastors uh, who, are, who are doing uh, what they should be doing? They're there. Uh, but as I said, we never have national platforms. Uh, uh, incidentally, the person who I approached when I went to Eldred the first time I went to uh, I believe it's called Sacred Heart uh, Catholic uh, Church or Cathedral, and uh, and uh, the Bishop Cornelius Career uh, was the one who, who gave me access um, to, to 20 priests, Catholic priests, who are a part of a team of about 100 clergy that we spoke with for seven, or took time to reflect with for seven weeks on the Old Testament content. So yes, I think they're there. I think we need to come together. I, need to, I think we need to amplify our voice uh, about what is right and what is just for this country. Uh, uh, yes, uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Linda. I want to ask you, in the in the years that you've been doing this work, what would you say has been a high point for you? What, what have you done in the pursuit of uh, justice that you your heart sang? And also, I'd like to also hear about a low point that uh, you are so pained as you are doing this work. Well, I, I let me see if I can find one high point. Mm -hmm. Okay, the high points and the low points are connected. So yes. the 2017 election and the post-election violence after that, uh, this last the, one. The last one. Yeah, 2017. So it wasn't mm -hmm. on the same scale as 2007, but mm -hmm. there was a lot of uh, civil unrest. And mm -hmm. It was a lot of loss of life. This is the one where, especially in Kisumu County, there was the mm -hmm. loss of uh, baby Pendo, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. Remember that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was also quite a number of young people who, who died and, you know, running battles with the police. Uh, and apart from that, also, Carol, there was um, a pattern had begun to emerge by that time of mm -hmm. sexual gender-based violence in every electoral period in Kenya. 
How I mm-hmm. got to know about that was uh, one day, I, I, uh, in this, I think it was December 2018, about a year later, I was traveling and um, I saw on my Twitter feed uh, a link by the Kenyan National Commission for Human Rights and they were launching a publication or a report that was concerned mm. on, the, on the election violence and specifically mm. on sexual violence. And uh, they called the report Silhouettes of Brutality. Mm. So I opened the report and because I was traveling, I was seated basically, I skimmed mm-hmm. the report and I happened to be writing also, uh, I was trying to write to publish a chapter, an article on mm-hmm. uh, women in mission. And mm-hmm. I read the report and they talked about um, the fact that this had become a cycle, a pattern. Every election period, it was guaranteed that uh, there would be sexual violence at the hands of the police. Mm-hmm. And that women were being raped and in 2017 had been raped, gang raped in their own homes many times in the presence of their children by police officers. Mm. So it was a low moment uh, for me, Carol. Uh, it was a very, very low moment. Um, you know what? It hurts to, to read about your own country mm. uh, and to understand that this kind of uh, pattern has become or is becoming a part of the character of the nation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a low moment for me but again, I, I didn't recognize, Carol, uh, that God was speaking. I have to mm-hmm. say this in jest. I think I'm one of those strange pastors or maybe strange Christians. I don't know. I can't always tell when God is speaking because he speaks, as I said, in the ordinary moment. Mm-hmm. This is ordinary life. So I'm reading and I didn't know that God was speaking to me, prompting me. But because I had by that time, of course, uh, registered at Tour Trust and we'd run programs for a number of years, I had uh, the opportunity to to do to run a program for women uh, leaders, Christian women leaders from the Anglican Church, uh, mm-hmm. from two of the dioceses of the Anglican Church, uh, and I'm a clergy with the Anglican Church, uh, mm-hmm. and to run a, a program with regard to post healing mm-hmm. and accountability. Mm-hmm. And you know, I hadn't even thought what I was doing. But God brought the materials that I read without even knowing how it happened. I think I was still researching for my paper. See how God is working, yeah? I yes. went to the National, Kenya National Commission for Human Rights. I met an amazing woman who had actually been the director of elections and monitoring. A woman, a Christian lady by the name of Anne Okutoy. Uh, she's, mm-hmm. a, she's a lawyer, by the way, a human rights lawyer. And Anne received me. I shared with her what I was doing. She shared some more stuff with me. And the long and short of it is anyway, we went and trained we talked to 150 Christian leaders, Anglican Christian women, about what had happened in their own country. Mm-hmm. And that was a high point for me, uh, yeah. um, Carol. It was a high point because I was, uh, in that moment, able to bring together for believers, Christian women, the mm-hmm. things that are happening in their own space and to mm-hmm. challenge them to, to, to know uh, and to do. And mm-hmm. uh, just even to share that burden and to say that this is happening among us and this is unacceptable. And as a community yeah. of God's people, it is not okay for some of us to be safe in our houses and yet for mm-hmm. other people, particularly those who are living in the low-income areas, to know that every five years they will be subject to this kind of assault. I have yeah. to be honest, 
I, it, it isn't that we had we were able to take any decisive action. We haven't yet, but it was the beginning of a conversation. One of the other things I've learned over the years is that the work of social transformation is a slow work. It calls mm. for a lot of patience, a lot of, yeah. you, know, you just have to stay with it, even if you're not able to turn it around into concrete results right there mm. and there. But you start mm. the conversations, you water them, you nurture them until such time as God is, if God brings things together in his mm-hmm. way. So it was a high moment, high point for me, high watermark. The bishop of uh, one of those dioceses gave a statement. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the bishop's wife of the other diocese gave a statement. And I was like, Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like what uh, God's word says: you should rejoice with those who rejoice, and and we, mm-hmm. I think we began to even address that sense that the, the nation and society uh, often has, but the, the voice of the church is muted when the society mm. is hurting. So that was a high moment uh, for me, and I really mm. thank God for that. Wow, thank you. And thank you for being faithful to to that, that voice if, uh, when it comes in the most uh in the most natural or the simplest of ways. Thank you for honoring the call of God in your life. Um now, right now, as we are winding down, I'd like you to, especially in the face of corona, uh the COVID-19 crisis the inequalities that uh, COVID-19 has exposed, the corruption that has come up. the And this now, again, I'll, I'll share what uh, is my personal pain, is that, and especially with extrajudicial executions and the young people who died through police brutality uh, from curfews, and of course, now the corruption scandals that have come up. Even even with all of that, um, I just I can I am ready to be corrected, but I've only had a st- uh, uh, maybe a four line statement from the NCCK about extrajudicial executions, but nothing else. How can uh, how do we how do we do better? How do we do good, actually? <laughs> because uh, in Micah 6, 8, God has shown us what is good. And what God requires of us is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And uh, to connect this with uh, with what Msingi is about, Msingi um, comes from Psalms eighty nine fourteen that says justice and righteousness is the foundation of God's throne. We are so quick and we have done the work of preaching righteousness in our churches, but we've done uh, very little in preaching justice. And so when I, my thought is that when we see injustice happening, we don't see it as a prophetic task because we don't have the tools to interpret injustice with, uh, in light of scripture. How do we as, as the Kenyan church bear, bear better witness or what what is our role with uh, with what I've shared, and how can we do better? What, what do you say will help move move us a bit further, a bit uh, ahead in the quest of justice? Hi. 
So, Carol, thank you for, for asking uh, about that. You know, the kind of uh, what I hear in your voice is, is really, as I said, what took me back to study. And I'm not mm. even recommending that for anybody. I'm just saying I found myself stumped. I found myself stuck. I found myself frustrated. I felt like I had heard some things from the Lord and I couldn't see, you know, a lot of traction on the ground with the church. Yeah? Yes. So Hatua uh, is, a, is a manual, actually, that I, I wrote. It's a discipleship curriculum that I wrote for the church. Mm. And uh, it was born out of the course I described that I attended, uh, which was the Old Testament, a reading of the Old Testament through the theme of justice. And so when I, I published that in 2009, you know, because of the urgency that I felt after the post-election violence, I began mm. to teach it, Carol. It mm -hmm. taught it to Christian, ordinary Christians like myself. It was a 10-week curriculum. And at the end of the 10 weeks, I would challenge them to take a step because the word hatua in Kiswahili means take a step. Mm -hmm. And I was challenging them to engage with issues in their immediate context. Uh, because I, I guess you who have studied organizing will understand. Um, mm -hmm. I've only learned that from my husband who has also studied organizing, that people will really only do things um, also that are in their own self-interest yeah? or somehow mm -hmm. their, their self-interest has to merge with whatever action that they are being called upon to take. And so mm -hmm. I, did, I did that for a, a while. And I, as I, I said to you, I felt I wasn't getting the momentum that um, I thought I would mm -hmm. uh, have expected to see. And so when mm -hmm. I went to back to study, uh, one of the things that I studied uh, in, in one of the years uh, out of the four-year program was uh, leadership and change. And I learned mm -hmm. some useful things there, Carol. That, mm -hmm. um, because the question you're asking is, how, how do we do better? How do we bear better witness as the church? And I learned some, some, something, some things about the dynamics of change that were helpful to me in the work of social transformation. You know what? Um, people really will not move unless they have a real sense of urgency, and unless there's a sense of urgency through the entire system. Uh, in other words, it is much, much easier to stay with the status quo. Why? Because it takes a lot of resource in terms of energy and time to mobilize for change. And it's easier to just leave things as they are. And so I learned that you need, we need to somehow help the church understand uh, and, and help create urgency or help them to recognize when there is an, a sense of urgency or an urgent situation. Uh, we also need to be very good. This thing that you're calling, Carol, very powerful what you've said. And I've heard you say it a couple of times in, a, in different ways. Bringing people together who would not normally speak together. We have to, if we're going to bring about change, we have to form what uh, a certain person, uh, a certain expert in, in the whole area of change theory talks uh, about and um, calls forming a guiding forming a guiding coalition. Um, and he talks about this and he says that you need to have enough people around an issue, around the table over an issue who have the positions and the power that it takes to effect change. In other words, it's not just any random person in society who will just wake up and say, let's change this thing. Uh, that's just the way society works, Carol. I cannot wake up now and just say I'm going to uh, the National Assembly just like that. I mean, it helps if I'm already an elected representative of the people. I hope I'm making sense. And so I, I, what I think is that we need to do this thing that you're doing. Bring people 
together who would not normally uh, speak together. Mm-hmm. Um, let me say this. I, in fairness to the church, I, mm-hmm. I think that God has put in place, remember when I talked about that, someone that challenged me earlier on in my life, God has put in, even in the church or around the church, people with different leadership gifts. And I really feel like mine is uh, is to catalyze, catalyze mm-hmm. uh, people to do things. And so if people like me, you know, you talked about, you and I have talked about how I'm saying I'm hearing God in such ordinary ways. It's so easy to miss his voice. It's so easy mm-hmm. to go around with my ordinary business and never do those things, yeah? Yes, um, yes. So I think that some people are sleeping on the job, Carol. That's mm-hmm. how we can bear better witness. If we all get up off of our backside and do the things that we're supposed to do. Um, so anyway, uh, one of the things that God has led me to do now, I he very wonderfully opened the door for me to work with another Christian organization. I do some work with International Justice Mission part-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, International Justice Mission is a Christian human rights agency that actually works in this area. You've talked about uh, the police uh, abuse of power. You've said that that has really, police excesses have really come to the fore in this COVID season. And uh, International Justice Mission has been around in Kenya for a long time, about a little over 17 years. And uh, over the last three or so years, they celebrate on one Sunday uh, together with their church partners, uh, the mm-hmm. issue of justice. They highlight it through sermons um, and teach uh, the congregations of God's people uh, through their different partnerships and challenge Christians to act. It's essentially catalyzing the church to do what mm-hmm. it ought to do. So I, mm-hmm. as I said, just came into this uh, role just this year. And I'm so excited to tell you, Carol, that uh, you know behind the scenes, it's a quiet work. It's a slow work. I've been mm-hmm. able to mobilize uh, three Anglican dioceses uh, which mm-hmm. this year, this very September, will be uh, amplifying justice issues from their pulpits. Uh, slightly under 300 churches uh, mm-hmm. and congregations will be talking about justice issues for four Sundays in the month of September. I'm excited yes. about that. We um, can um, do better. I think yes, you're right. Yes. We should do better. We must do better. But mm-hmm. it is. it will take some work, hard work on our part, some slow work of bringing people together who would not normally speak together, a lot of teaching behind the scenes, a lot of catalyzing, a lot of challenging, a lot of patience, because I feel that sometimes um, we want we want things to happen and we want them now. You know, there's mm-hmm. that funny Swahili thing that says, come and see Sasa. You know, and we who are yes. the activist gene in us, we are mm-hmm. Kamasi Sasani Sasa Hivi types. Eh? Yes, yes. But there's a place for passion, mm-hmm. and there's also a place for long term strategic engagement. Mm-hmm. And I think we can bear better witness, and we, we must. And I think that we, it will take all hands on deck, Carol, mm-hmm. all yes. types on deck. We also cannot run the risk of alienating each other. I can't mm-hmm. find you protesting, Carol, one day on the mm-hmm. street and downplay your role. Uh, yes. Because I'm sort of doing the slow work behind the scenes. And you can't, you know, it's that First Corinthians 12 all over again. The hand mm-hmm. cannot say to the eye, uh, because you're not a hand, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love what you said. Back to you again, Carol, bringing people together who would not normally speak together. I think it's what it will take. Yes, and Msingi um, uh, has... Uh, Dan participated in Freedom Sunday before with IJM because we work with IJM. And 
And for me, I always ensure that we have human rights defenders and pastors having conversation. And I can never uh, forget one day when a human rights defender went to a church service. And when uh, the pastor was preaching, uh, first, the first we uh, amazing thing was that pastors in that year preached about justice for the very first time on their pulpits. They've never preached about justice. And that's also a thing because most pastors really have no idea that justice is part of the of the of the church of the church uh, in the in the Bible. I that's a whole nother discussion that we we definitely need to have. Yeah. But but that conversation about when uh, after the after the preaching the human rights defender came and told and told me i'm so shocked that this thing is called the bible he said this thing has much more to do uh, about justice than us activists have and that packed a light for me is that justice is god's justice is god's and god will bring has put justice in all of us and we just have to connect people and so they they were able to see that the justice they they uh he fights for and the justice i fight for and the justice that we are preaching from from the pulpit is justice for everybody for that community and those connections would never be made if we don't uh share a meal together if we don't come together as equals and this is what i I'd like to 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 hopefully uh you help us wrap up this conversation with is the the place of repentance and humility uh for by us as as church is I constantly feel the reason we are maybe bashed is because people expect better from us and we've not done it and we don't uh in fighting for justice and we we are not humble enough to say that but what is the place of humility and learning for us in the quest for justice thank you carol i you know i uh, you you challenge me and um, i think you're right we really do need to listen to each other um we really must listen to each other because otherwise we kind of become insular in our thinking and as i said for me somebody like me as a, as i've said i've been a i've been a pastor and a leader of a congregation for about 20 years and so many times i tend i, I tend and i used to tend towards uh needing to or feeling like I had, there was a need to speak well of the church defend the church even when uh, when uh, you know sort of, sort of statements are made about the fact that the church ought to do better but i have to say carol in this moment i agree with you mm. with all humility i agree with you in fact a friend of mine uh, another <laughs> friend of mine in, who's very passionate about social justice wandia joya uh, she speaks with a lot of indignation and she says you know the church ought to do better because of um, who the church is and how it is positioned and the resources that it has uh and so i have to agree with you the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is to whom much is given mm. of him much is required so i yes. think it would be wrong of me in a moment like this to downplay uh the gaps mm-hmm. uh to downplay uh how much better the church could be 
I think you're mm -hmm. right. The church ought to, there is a place for the church to uh, acknowledge in humility what mm. ought to have been done and has not been done. You know what, Carol? I'll be so bold as to tell you, in my experience also, I have found the church, unfortunately, the church is, uh, fortunately, the church is a fully, is fully divine. I think I've heard this from somebody that as an institution, it is fully divine because this is God's idea, but it is also fully human. And do you know, Carol, there, are, there is need for repentance and humility because you find the most awful um, power plays in the church. Mm. awful power please and mm. I think many times we forget the main thing mm. we forget it yeah. and uh, the truth of the matter is that if we could watch well and listen well to what the, the saviour Jesus Christ uh, has mm. done, has said, has taught repentance mm. and humility would become much much mm. easier for us, uh, he humbled himself it says in Philippians 2 and he became nothing uh, he mm. took the form of a servant. So what mm -hmm. is it to us to repent and ask God to have mercy on us and to mm. show us again what he is calling us to and to acknowledge our limitations and to tell God, you take what we have and make mm. up for what we don't have. Uh, like that uh, man who wanted his son to be healed and he said to Jesus, I believe. Mm. Help mm. my unbelief. Help the places where I don't believe. Help the places where I don't know. Help the places where I don't have the courage or I have lacked the courage or we mm. have lacked the courage as the church to mm -hmm. speak and to heal. Uh, mm. Not just to speak and to heal. Actually, one of the prophets says uh, to, to throw down and to tear mm. down and also yes. to build up. Uh, mm. We have not done this. And I, I, think, I think that the call to repentance Humble acknowledgement is not misplaced. Well, thank you for for such a deep deep uh, conversation today. And uh, I don't know if uh, would you have some closing final remarks? For sure, uh, you definitely know that uh, already that you'll be part of this conversation because we'll be hosting quite a number of these uh, talks and based on your wisdom, your the work that you're doing and the and the role that you've played, I would love for you. So you have an open invitation to this podcast. That's why well. oh, thank you so much, Carol. And um I'm honored that and as I was telling you as we were discussing this that it's for for me and for most of us it's it really is an honor to have voices like you who are already doing the work because it's it affirms it affirms us and confirms that God has actually um placed this not only on you it's good to know that there's someone else who who has done this has done it for maybe a few more years more than we have so thank you for obeying God's call by your life and for for being brave and uh and going where many fear to tread so, Asante Sana, uh, and, uh, do you have any closing words, something that you wanted to say that we haven't uh, gotten to? And, uh, closing remarks, over to you. Um, well, this is Africa's moment. I think the words of my uh, of a favorite theologian, uh, church historian, uh, Professor Andrew Walls, uh, he 
when I was at the tail end of my theological studies here in Nairobi, uh, came to our school and, uh, you know, I think he had many meetings, but he gave one public lecture, which I attended, and he talked about the time, the timing. Uh, he talked about the fact that in the 1900s, Africa had about 350 professing Christians, and that uh, at the time of his speaking in 2004, that's about over 15, 16 years ago, Africa had quietly slipped into the place of Christian leadership by which he meant numerically that mm -hmm. uh, by the time he was speaking, there were about 10 million, uh, maybe must be very many more now, 10 million professing Christians on the African continent. And so he mm -hmm. said uh, the center of Christianity had shifted south. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, at the same time that the church in Africa has been growing, there has also been a recession in terms of numbers in the church in Europe and North America. And so he mm -hmm. said the world's representative Christian numerically is an African Christian. And so mm -hmm. as I listened to Andrew Walls, the church historian at that time, again, it was almost uh, one of those moments, again, Carol, just almost hearing God and not realizing what was happening. He mm -hmm. said the baton, and we will understand that because uh, the relay race and racing and running is a big sport here in Kenya. Baton has been handed over to the African church. And much depends, he said, on the quality mm -hmm. of gospel preaching and Christian living and Christian mm. scholarship. And at mm -hmm. that time, Carol, I made up my mind to be the best that I could be. I didn't know what that was. I just mm -hmm. knew that the time come, the time was coming. And so my call is to Christian men and Christian women and Christian leaders. This is Africa's moment. And, you know, another uh, theologian, Emmanuel Katongole, who writes a political mm -hmm. Africa says that paradoxically, at the same time when we have grown numerically, the stories that pour out of the African continent are stories of conflict, are stories of uh, you know mismanagement of public resources, uh, uh, and the list goes on. And so I just want to say this is our moment. Uh, we've got to up our game as far as gospel preaching, yes, but also Christian living and also Christian scholarship, by which I think Andrew Walls meant reflection, the depth of our reflection. We've got to grapple with the issues that face us uh, and to believe God, to hover over us and to give us the solutions for our time and for our day. And a word of encouragement from Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis 1 says that in the beginning, the earth was formless and desolate, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, and God said, let there be light. So let's continue to invoke the light of God in every chaotic uh, situation, every situation that appears to be without form. And he's able to speak his authoritative word and to bring about light and shape uh, to the context, the social context, the context of injustice uh, on the African continent. Amen. Amen. Wow. Oh, Asante to Sana, Pastor Linda, um, an honor to have you on. And um, for people who want to follow you on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, where do we find you? I have to say, Carol, I kind of <laughs> took a back seat. Yes. <laughs> I had uh, an incident, but uh, I, I will be reviving shortly. So I do, okay. I do not, I, you know, I gave up my personal Twitter handle, but Twitter handle. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I do have a, a Facebook uh, account myself, 
Uh, Linda mm-hmm. Ochola. I don't post much anymore, but I'm going to start. So yes, oh, I can be found. Oh. And uh, for <laughs> sermons and works that you've done, we can find them. Are there any on YouTube? I'm not preaching as much anymore. Okay. Uh, right. But I am beginning to crank up now, so I can be found on YouTube. Most of the content, you know, will be posted there and can probably just be found under Linda Ochola or Linda Adonwa. All right. Santi, Asanti Sana, and uh, thank you. It's been an honor to host you today. And um, as I've said, this is the first, but definitely not the last time uh, to have Pastor Linda on. And Asanti Sana, Pastor Linda. Thank you, Carol. I really appreciate this. If you've been inspired, challenged, and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, Remember to follow us on social media at Msingi Trust. Share this podcast with your friends and family and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com, Patreon at msingikenya or through M-Pesa, plus 254-792-176-030. Kwaherini and thank you for joining us.